0: So yes, totally a man taking on a woman's trauma as if it's, you know, like his own, which it's not. So don't fucking, you know, do that. That's that's extremely cruel to her. Like it's not your trauma, pal. <laughs> and
1: also you're not going to power walk your way out of that racism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome
2: to Feminist Frequency Radio. This is episode 64. I'm Anita Sarkeesian and I'm joined as always by my fellow emotionally complicated game devs, Carolyn Pettit (laughs) and Ebony Adams. I prefer emotionally compromised, but let's roll. Yeah, what's the difference? This is the show that asks you to be critical of the media you love or alternatively, we are the feminist killjoys coming for your media, depending on your perspective. Today, we're going to be talking about the new Netflix series, Russian Doll. After that, we'll finish the show by each sharing a little something in What's Your Freak Out? Let's get to it. Hey, all All right.
1: How's your lives? It's been a real crapshoot of a Black History Month. Uh, I can tell you that right, right right now. I'm going to need everybody and anybody. Just gather yourselves up. Gather your friends up, your family. Um, it's been a real roller coaster of an eight days so far. We re- we're recording this on an eighth day of Black History Month. I fully expect that by the time this episode drops, um, I will have completely just given up and walked into the ocean.
2: It's, a li- it's It feels worse than usual, right? Like, I know it's always shitty, but... Yeah, people,
1: I feel like they save this shit up for February. They do. Like, we're just going to we're going to drop all this shit, you know, now. Not happy about it.
2: But I'm also like, okay, so there's all the bullshit. So we're referring to things like uh exposing politicians who wear blackface, uh the Gucci blackface sweater.
1: Uh, Michelle Rodriguez. Michelle Rodriguez is a, bullshit. for Liam Neeson.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I hope that's in the entertainment news because boy. Uh,
1: that, that, that white woman posing uh, with um, with Cameroonian folks, you know, this kind of poverty tourism. It's been a mess. I miss that. But one. I'm not sending it to you because it's a fuck up my spirit.
2: I've just been so exhausted, which happens every year by like, this is the month in which black people are allowed to speak. Right. Or like, this is the month that we want to hire black folks to write for our website. And like, just seeing so much of that is extremely frustrating. Yeah, uh, imagine how it
1: feels for yeah, me, right. a black
2: person. <laughs> but because I keep sending you all of this shit, Ebony, and I'm like, this is And I'm always stupid. like, yeah,
1: I've seen it. <laughs> yeah. You know? But uh, yeah, I do love when outlets, you know, blast out like, hey, looking for black writers. Well, first of all, they'll say like, people of color, writers of color to, you know, do a piece for Black History Month. And I'm like, um, it's okay to specify black writers <laughs> in this instance, not just, you know, general people of color. Like our, our experience are not universal. Wait, but also, sorry. Hey, wait, they're not? I know. I know. Uh, but then also like, hey, maybe y'all should have prepped a little bit earlier for this. But I think Black History Month apparently is a surprise <laughs> every year
0: <laughs> uh, to people
1: that it's coming. So... Uh. Yeah, it's been a roller coaster.
0: Well, that does make for a good lead-in to this week's entertainment news, of course.
1: Because it's, it's all positive news.
0: It, oh, oh, I forgot about our, you know, two bad, one good thing this week. I may not have anything It's only good this been week. like a week since I know, video. I know. But boy, it's just, that one it's week. so hard to find that, entertainment news that's yeah. not shit. That one week took a lot out of me, I gotta tell you. So, on last week's bonus, you know, those of you who um, didn't don't know, Ebony and I talked about, uh, you know, Liam Neeson's Uh, stunning revelation that after a friend revealed she had been sexually assaulted, you know, he and Terry, he said, well, what, you know, who who was it? Uh, She says, I don't know. Uh, What color were they? (laughs) And and so then he walks the he literally says he walked the streets with a, uh, you know, a weapon, like a handheld weapon looking for a quote unquote, you know, his words like black bastard to, you know, have a go at him so that he could, you know, fuck them up.
2: So, so that he, so let's just clarify this. It's so that Liam Neeson can feel better about the thing that didn't fucking happen to him.
0: To him. Right. It's, it's definitely an example of a, of a man. Uh, I think, you know, I think the it's probably, it's to some degree, it's like, Oh, I failed as a patriarchal protector. So now I have to be the Avenger, right? Kind of thing. But also, yes, totally a man taking on, a woman's trauma as if it's, you know, like his own, which it's not. So don't fucking, you know, do that. That's that's extremely cruel to her. Like, it's not your trauma, pal. (laughs)
1: And also, you're not going to power walk your way out of that racism. Yeah.
0: Uh, (laughs) So since then, though, uh, his widow's co-star, Michelle Rodriguez, has responded to the brouhaha by saying, you know, and I kid you not, that uh, Liam Neeson is not racist because of the way he kissed uh, Viola Davis, who played his wife in Widows. Uh, She said, quote, "Uh, Racists don't make out with the race that they hate, especially in the way that he does with his tongue so deep down her throat. Um, there are just yeah. so many things wrong. Okay. Like, so hold, many things wrong. Hold on. Wrong with this.
2: Before we get into the actual wrongness of this, I would just like to add that those kisses and that makeout was so uncomfortable to watch. I'm just saying, for the record, I remember distinctly remembering that while watching that movie, being like, oh, this looks really gross and uncomfortable. Just saying. Uh, okay.
1: So um, well, before we get into the wrongness, then I would also like to offer why did people not like. St- just you know, quietly cut the mic whenever Michelle Rodriguez is about to say something. <laughs> like, quit God. asking her questions. Put quit putting her on stage. Like oh, stop letting her speak in public.
2: Okay, now we can discuss why that statement was the dumbest thing in the world.
1: Uh, the fact that generations of slave owners happily assaulted and raped um you know there the enslaved population surrounding them and considered them essentially animals and yet happily you know raped them and copulated with them so just it, whatever who you fuck doesn't determine you know your level of racism this is basic also
2: we that's not how racism always works right like mm-hmm. that, the thing is that you she Liam Neeson can be very friendly and enjoy company with Viola Davis, his co-star, and think that she's like a good black person and that she's okay, unlike these other ones who are bad. right? Like men, specifically. Yeah. But like, you know, strangers or hooligans or whatever the fuck, as opposed to the person that you're friends with because they're like the good ones of, they're like the model minority, blah, 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 right? Like, it's just such an
1: asinine bullshit. Yeah, it's, it's a basic level misunderstanding of what racism is, right? You know, the The notion that, like, to be racist is to be someone who carries, like, overt, explicit hate in your heart you know, for a category of people and also individual members, you know, of that community. And so to be racist means to be like the person who actually flicks on the fire hose, you know, uh, and, you know, sets dogs on people and whatever. It, it completely allies all of those smaller, you know, microaggressions, macroaggressions that don't seem to come from a place of, you know, of, of hate or a fear. And it's like, no, we really need to unpack this. And as a Latina, like, come on, really? Like you're going to cape in this way. Yeah. yeah and
0: th- this really, uh, in my opinion, goes into like the larger national conversation that we're having about racism right now, how we as a country or as a people understand racism and how we talk about it. You know, um, like Cory Booker, who's now running for president, like recently said, like, uh, you know, I, I don't know what's in Trump's heart. Right. When regards with when question about whether you know Trump is racist or not, uh, versus you know uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, wh- who, would asked by uh, by Anderson Cooper, you know, is is Trump racist? She just says yes, no question. And it's because, like, I mean, like his policies are racist. The impact they have is racist. Like, it literally does not matter what's in his heart, right? It, um, so. there's just this tension between like, you know, all these white people who really want to believe who, you know, that racism is just like, yeah, this, this active, like malicious, you know, thought patterns toward, you know, all black, you know, all people of color all the time or something like that. When that's not what racism that's, you know, racism does not work that way. Um, So it's so refreshing to have people like Ocasio-Cortez who, who just say what needs to be said without any, uh, waffling, you know, or, or, or beating around the bush. And, you know, we're just at such a crucial moment in our national discussion about this, that like, we really need to cut out all the bullshit and be very clear about, about this.
1: Yep, absolutely. And can we, uh, shout out friend of the podcast, Jay Smooth, um, you know, his- fairly you know like basic but trenchant you know how to tell someone they've said something racist and you know his his you know statement like listen I I don't know what's in your heart you know I don't know what's in your mind but I do know what you've done and the effect that it has and that's the thing that I'm pointing out to you I can't know what your interiority is and that's irrelevant you right. know to, yeah. to the effect so
0: yeah yeah so um yeah uh- I promise this is, this is pop culture related. Uh, Give me a moment. So, 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 you know, also this past like week or so, uh, man, Virginia. Woo! Virginia's (laughs) having a rough, rough week. Uh, What the uh hell is going on in Virginia? So, so basically all, you know, all these like Virginia lawmakers and politicians, you know, these uh, photos have surfaced from them, uh, you know, from the late seventies, early eighties, you know, of them wearing blackface. Um, And there's this kind of maybe idea that some people float of like, oh, well, that must have been a different time and it must have just been like more acceptable back then. so interestingly, um, you know, sort of in response to that or because of that conversation, a clip has has kind of resurfaced and made the rounds on Twitter and stuff Um from a 1984 episode of the NBC show Gimme a Break, which starred Nell Carter. And it was, you know, it was a what we would call a very special episode, right? Because it that's, you know, an episode that dealt with like social issues in some larger, very serious way. And it was literally about blackface, right? And about um, uh, it condemned blackface in no uncertain terms. So it's not like, um, you know it 's not like nobody knew back then that uh that blackface was extremely effed up
1: the The excuse that something was of an earlier time and so is therefore uh excusable is is reprehensible, <laughs> but also you know. <sighs> These folks, when they play act with, you know, blackface and minstrelsy and whatever, you know, the notion that, oh, I didn't realize this was racist or I don't have racism in my heart. Again, who cares? You know, the, the lie underneath that is that, you know what? When you, when you fetishize, you know, certain like racial markers as is required by blackface, it's not as if these people are doing blackface and then, you know, tr- play acting like Mae Jemison or something, you know, or Martin Luther King. It's always some like generic pimp or thug or mammy figure or whatever. And just the, the notion that like at the time, like, oh, we didn't know this was wrong. Yes, you did. And the frisson of the forbidden, you know, is what drew you to it. It was, you know, there was something that you recognized um, was, was out of bounds about this. And that's why it was fun for you.
0: Interestingly, though, so one of the photos I saw from like, I think, a Virginia med school yearbook is of a man in blackface, dressed as a woman. And the, the caption or the, you know, the accompanying text is something like, um, who knew Diana Ross, literally Diana Ross would, would get into med school or something. And interestingly, like the same day that I saw that I was walking through, it was either in the Burbank airport or the Oakland airport. I see an ad, um, you know, there for like Diana Ross coming, you know, to perform, you know, this location, these dates. And, you know, and I'm like, Hell yeah, man. Like, all these years, like, Diana Ross is still kicking. Like, she's still yeah. doing it. And, you know, like, just F, f you guys. Like, God. all of them from top to bottom.
1: And apparently it's everybody. Um, So my family, I, huge parts of my family are from and still live in Virginia. And I'm telling you, like, it's shit there is the state pastime. <laughs> Got to be interrogated. Y'all have been up to some nefarious stuff behind the scenes. Not even behind the scenes. It's in the yearbook. That means that stuff was happening. Like, the camera didn't just happen to catch one-off anomalous
0: incidents. Like, this stuff was happening all the time.
2: Yeah, okay, so where's our good news, Carol?
0: I don't, okay. Make me, something uh, up. Make something up. Okay. Oh, oh, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, so a uh, a new Battle Royale game uh, called Apex Legends just dropped. It's by uh, Respawn, who... Uh, famously made the, the the Titanfall games. And um, so there's eight heroes to choose from right now. Um, eight characters that you can play as. And of those two, one is a gay man and one is non-binary. Uh, so, you know, out of, so 25% uh, and, and of course, like s- no small number of straight male gamers are losing their shit about it. So that's Wait, fun. Wait, sorry.
2: I'm sorry. You're saying two out of eight are of some marginalized representation?
0: Yes. Well, I, I mean, that's, well, a queer, uh, no, I mean, queer, a queer. Oh. There, there, there's all there's a woman. Of, there's a black woman. Oh, 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 OK. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's that's not great. like it's yeah, so yeah,
2: way better than how Overwatch launched.
0: Yes, definitely better than Overwatch launched. Yes. 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 Um, take yeah.
2: That blizzard. All right.
0: <laughs> Good recovery. Thank you.
2: Hey, y'all. Did you know that we can keep bringing Feminist Frequency Radio to the airwaves because of you? It's true. If you are enjoying our show, please consider joining our podcast community at d.rip slash Femfreak. It's where you'll get access to some fun perks and bonus episodes. And really, at the end of the day, you're going to help us keep bringing feminist media criticism to the airwaves. So please head on over to d.rip slash Femfreak. Uh, Let's move on to our main for today. Russian Doll is a Netflix series starring Natasha Lyonne as Nadia, a New York game designer who, on her 36th birthday, finds herself trapped in a Groundhog Day-like loop as she repeatedly dies, only to find herself transported back to her own birthday party. The series follows her quest to figure out what anomaly has imprisoned her in this loop and determine how she might escape. Co-created by Amy Poehler and with a writers' room full of women, Russian Doll has quickly become one of the most talked-about shows this season.
0: I loved this show. Oh, me my too! My God, I thought this. Who show was, was your s-
1: favorite character? Can you even, Carol? Uh, Carol? Well, I mean, my sweet, my sweet birthday baby, my sweet birthday baby. Oh
0: God. <laughs> <What> <laughs> <your favorite? laughs> uh...
1: I, I mean, loved her
2: shirt, though, with the chain thing and then the poofy shoulder. Oh, that was so good.
0: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, like, Nadia herself, I mean, just, God, it is so wonderful to me. So so uh, let me say, I'll say this about Nadia. Like, Nadia is the kind of person who in real life, I would find it very hard to be around because she, at least for, you know, much of the show, she's very closed off. She's very defensive. She's like perform she's always like on she's always performing and she's not being like very genuine but we come to understand like why she is so protective of herself and why she kind of rebuffs you know she doesn't really engage with people in a sincere way she's very funny she's very witty she's like i mean and natasha leone is just amazing to watch and i'm thinking like god like i don't i can't think of a female character you know i've seen uh ever really necessarily who's complicated in these particular ways who's funny you know who's like outgoing but also like defensive and I mean it's just like a really layered um character uh portrayal in my opinion um so yeah like I, I mean I, I was just fascinated first of all by 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 Nadia and loved Natasha Leon's performance like I've never I've actually not been I mean I haven't really seen a lot of her Work. Whoa, so,
2: whoa, whoa! I know. I didn't. I
0: never seen. Uh, but but, I'm, a but cheerleader. I'm a cheerleader. Yeah, I never saw it. <gasps> I know. I know. But <gasps> but man, She's I am like so after good. seeing this. After seeing this, I am like, wow! I am a not. I am a Natasha Leone fan now. Like this was. She was awesome.
1: Yeah, she, Natasha Leon has always kind of existed on the periphery of my pop cultural awareness. such so that when she popped up in things, I enjoyed her, but I didn't really seek out her work. And so when folks started talking about Russian Doll, I was like, yeah, you know, I might check it out. I might not. I got into a period where I was physically incapable of getting off the couch, physically and emotionally (laughs) incapable of getting off the couch. And it was the perfect time to binge this show. Um, I mentioned to the two of you when I was like, hey, you know, um, when we were talking about stuff to talk about on the podcast, um, this would be great. But, you know, I mentioned that I had a hard time with the first episode because it felt so affected and her performance felt so affected and so but i'm so glad i stuck with it because that's kind, that's the point right that, 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 that the performative nature you know it's it's authentic um, for, you know, whatever definition of authentic, you know, um, you subscribe to, but there's a reason why it feels as if you are distanced from the character because you are, you know, that is, that is what they're trying to do. And it took me, you know, the the first half hour to get through that, but I am so glad that I did because the complexity and the depth to the, the way that um, Natasha Lyonne constructs this character of Nadia, both, you know, Natasha as an actor constructing Nadia, but then of Nadia constructing herself and being always aware. Like there's never a moment in which she is not sort of looking at herself and not in a, you know, like narcissistic fashion, but her self-awareness is turned up to 11 because she is always navigating like these potential emotional minefields, right? Right. Um, and, and, and the way that the, the, her, her experience is saying like, we're going to, we're going to take this and we're going to use it. And you're going to be forced to continue looking at yourself and and dig deeper. And so like, literally when everything resets, she comes to looking in a mirror, looking at herself over and over and over again.
0: When I was in college, like, uh, and you know, I studied theater and, you know, um, a, a, a certain number of my theater, you know, co-students, uh, whatever, um, were, you know, I would say that they, they had a tendency to be like always on, you know, they were like, and, and, you know, I found that like kind of exhausting to be around. Like I couldn't, it just didn't work for me because, you know, I like sincerity. I, and, and and maybe obviously like for them that may have felt real, it may have been their real, but to me it felt performative. And, um, like, so I just love the way, you know, um, that, uh, Nadia is um, very much, like, she's always guarding herself against potential connection, right? I mean, John, her ex, tries to, like, engage with her in some real ways, and she kind of, like, rebuffs him and just, like, treats it, treats him as a joke. And, you know, at one point she says... Oh, being married is for suckers. It's for mediocres. I think I'm meant to be alone. And whatever you think about marriage, like I'm not, I'm not pro. You know, I'm not a big marriage person. But, but it's for her. It's like a larger thing about just connection in general. Like she says, I think I'm meant to be alone. Um, I, I just, I love the way that this ends up peeling back the layers and you know being really. So obviously, I'm a sucker for stuff that's thematically about like, oh, the things that really matter are you know, connection and caring for each other. I think Maniac, which we talked about on another episode, was thematically pretty similar to this in a lot of ways. Like, ultimately, it was saying, like, oh, you know, what really matters is, like, connecting and looking at and caring for each other, looking out for each other. So I'm, I'm a sucker for that to begin with, but um, I really thought that the complexity of Nadia as a character really made this work... Uh, you know, uh, very successfully in its kind of exploration of, of those ideas. Yeah,
1: I, for, for all Nadia's insistence that she repudiates connection, the connections that she does have are so deep and so important to her, um, you know, to her therapist, who is absolutely wonderful. God, so to good. To her friends. To her friends. I mean, when when, you know, she's living out this, you know, like reiteration over and over again of this birthday party and she starts to notice that um that folks are disappearing. Right. She doesn't want her friends, Max and I can't remember the other woman's name, but she doesn't want them out of her sight. She's like, I, I refuse to let you go. You know, so this is a woman who was saying, like, I refuse to get married and, you know, I refuse to let anyone kind of have an emotional, you know, um, you know, hold on me. And yet, nevertheless, she has them, And they're so important to her. But she's it, it, she's not someone who gives that away willingly. Um, but her her loyalties and her connections when they are there, they are so deep. And and that, in fact, is part of what she's wrestling with through this this show or, you know, through these episodes. Right. The connection to her mother that for her own survival, she has to allow to, to she has to allow herself to release from that.
2: I really liked the st- the way that they portrayed her mom. Uh, in this, uh, it Oof. came in it came in later. She was played yeah. by um
0: Chloe, Chloe Sevigny yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. and you know, the, there's a lot of ways that you can show like mental instability. um and i i I thought that it was really interesting how they did it in in terms of like she's going and buying a watermelon, all right. Now she's going and buying watermelons from every fucking bodega in New York. You're like, well, that's really weird. And then her being really like aggressive and mean to the 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 attendant and making her daughter go back in there and complain to the manager oh, about God. something that didn't happen. Like, like they they built they slowly built it up to show how like this this sort of weird, quirky thing turns into like really aggressive abuse in a way that like over time becomes really draining and, and watching the relationship after you've seen her. I think her name was Ruth, the um, the woman who ultimately yes. raised and, and sort of is a therapist, but ultimately raised uh, Nadia. You see her when she's younger, interacting with Nadia her, and her mother and being like, oh my God, like, how do we navigate this? And being like, okay, well, you have to eat some soup. You can't just have watermelon. And so you see the, like, the ramifications of what that really weird shopping spree actually means and, like, the emotional and physical costs of that. And I like that. That was sort of built up over time in the show a little bit, right?
0: Yeah, I I agree. And I think it's very important that the show, you know, it, it says that, you know, Nadia has to, like, forgive herself for you know for not right it was like extremely unhealthy like she she could not have stayed with her mom and so like as important as connection is and as you know in our lives like there are times where we just have to even with family you know sometimes it it, potentially we have to say like Cut. We have to cut people off and be like, uh, for my own safety, like I have to let you go. I have to but, let this go. But even
2: then, in the show, it is clarified that she didn't make that choice. Sure, right? Like that, she was like, she she's been sitting with this guilt as an adult, being like, I left my mother, and Ruth was like, you didn't, and also that's okay. Like right. both of those things, um, right? Right. And I, I found, you know, I I always find. Um, Natasha Leon's characters there, there's a similarity between the ones that I've seen like there is a um a boldness in her performances there is a um a way that she exists and so now I'm talking back about um Nadia where she's unapologetically huge she takes up a lot of space yes, yes. she is very Um, she she's perceived to be very confident in her bigness um, and in the way that she behaves and the choices that she makes. You know, like she talks about how she's done every drug under the sun, like she will party, she will do all of these things. Um, She's
0: also more overtly sexual than a lot of female characters are allowed to be in terms of like just saying what she wants or like doing what she wants with with men.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that the they do such a lovely job both in terms of like the dialogue and the story progression but also this is a testament to natasha leone's acting skills to show the depths of how fissured and the cracks underneath the surface of that right that that bigness of her while could totally be completely how she is, really is kind of masking and hiding this deep-seated pain and trauma underneath the surface. And so, like, I'm curious about, you know, what does it mean when she connects with this other person and they go through something together that nobody else can understand? What does it mean when she tries to heal from her trauma? What does her character, and I don't mean, like, the character, I mean, like, her character as a human look like outside of that space or outside of that healed space yeah. in terms of the sexuality stuff, I actually was really pissed off that the show was like condoms don't matter. Oh. And like they said it multiple times. And I know that it was part of like to show the wildness of her, but I just, I didn't like that. That really made me upset. Well,
1: I think that was uh, from what I've read. Um, you know, a lot of folks are taking that to be evidence of um, Nadia's kind of death wish. Right. You know, so it's mm. it's not the show saying, oh, this doesn't matter. Or it's kind of funny when someone's wild enough and, you know, passionate enough to say condoms don't matter. But it's it's, you know, just further evidence that Nadia is being careless with something. Um, and I think this is, you know, something that uh, that Ruth points out as well, that there's Nadia has this deep seated death wish that she doesn't even acknowledge. Um, and that's that's part of that. Um, But yeah, let's talk about
2: Alan. Yeah. Hold on. We'll go to Alan. One more thing real quick, just because I was talking about her doing a lot of drugs. Uh, Favorite character was
1: the drug dealer
2: because holy shit was he. I will buy all the drugs from him. (laughs)
1: uh i (laughs) would let the record show let the record show that is someone that i have pointed out to you before
2: (laughs) i know i was like and i I refrained
1: from doing it i told you so while you were watching this but yeah i was like as i
2: was watching this i was like i bet you that ebony has sent me a photo of this dude and been like you should date him (laughs) absolutely i was like (laughs) I was like, uh huh, cool, 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 cool. Um, but cool,
1: actually, before we then move on to Alan, although this will this ties in, I loved this version of a New York that actually <laughs> is multiracial because we get so many versions of New York that are essentially like friends, right? And so not only are we not getting any lead characters of color, but absolutely nobody in the fucking background you know, is a person of color. So, you know, the fact that at this party, you know, not only Max, but like... There are people at this party and they don't look or feel like wallpaper. They aren't accessories to prove that like Naughty is cool. Like this is just the New York that she inhabits that feels so real and makes so much sense. Um, these were not characters who were incidental. And so I loved that Alan, um, the actor Charlie Burnett, um, you know, is a is a man of color, like that that gives such an added dimension to um to this his 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 character into the show because the easy version of Alan would have been played by a white man and it would have read completely differently to me. I still would have had empathy and sympathy for his character, but not in the same way that I did for for Alan, particularly because of the incredible challenges um in getting like helpful, sustained, compassionate mental health care if you are um a black man specifically.
2: Yes. And Nobody in New York has apartments like that. Girl, girl.
1: <laughs> okay, like what was what was Alan's girlfriend's name? She's a fucking English PhD student, and she had the most bomb apartment. <laughs> Max's apartment. I was like, what? Where are these folks getting this money?
2: I don't know, man. Uh, I uh, the other thing that I think is interesting. So, Alan, we'll get to you. Um, <laughs> you're just not as interesting as everyone else. It's fine. What? Um, you're, it's hard disagree I know I don't actually mean that I just thought it would be funny to say okay um also I really loved the costume design and the more I think about it um one because I just it was the fashion was fucking amazing especially at yeah. the party like just I wanted everything there but um the costuming was very specifically part of the character design and storytelling because like Alan's girlfriend um was wearing the dumbest shit. Like, it was just, it didn't look great on her. It was very bland. It was supposed to, it was, it 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 told us who she was and how we should perceive her. And same with, like, what Alan was wearing, right? There was this whole, like, these people are um, a lot more, I mean, I don't, I'm going to say basic, even though I don't necessarily want to use all the connotations that come with that. Yeah, basic. Whereas, well, yeah, but, like, whereas, <laughs> like, Everyone else is a little more wild and a little more interesting.
1: And like, yeah, well, they, I mean, and, these, and
2: Nadia calls it out. She's like, you know, these worlds are outfitter.
1: Like, what is this urban outfitter's aesthetic? Like, did you buy all of your art in urban outfitter's? That was so good. very like, <laughs> like, you know, Banana Republic, yeah. safe. And, you know, Alan talks about like how he is so deliberate about the way he does things and presents himself because he hopes to find a measure of safety and that. And so dressing in the way that um, the people at Max's party would, would be completely overwhelming for him. It would be, it would be too much. And it shows,
2: it shows just how, um, like when he goes to the party, he sticks out, right? Like when, when, and, and it's part of the, I think it like, I, I I'm pointing this out because I think that it's a, like the, all of the aspects that go into making a movie or TV show or whatever it might be, whether it's the lighting or the costume design or like the, you know, just the my the set design all go into character and relationship development as well. And so like the fact that they were able to break through that barrier in term, And I think that the clothing, the costume design did that for me in a lot of ways of like, it made it feel bigger and harder for them to cross it. And when they did, it's like, holy shit. like it's it, this is a deeper level of connection,
1: yeah, yeah. the the entire look of the show um from the way that we the camera moves through rooms in Max's apartment in the old Yeshiva to the bathroom that she put together with like that vaginal geo door, which <laughs> I immediately wanted in my in my spot. um it was. It was so perfectly a representation of the way we moved through the piece. Um, And speaking of Max's apartment, I I can't believe everything this show was able to do in eight episodes. Because if we wanted to talk just alone about the way that Nadia's Jewish heritage, you know, comes up in the show and the way this show wrestles with, like, the cultural and spiritual inheritance... Um, of her judaism you know nadia as a non-practicing jew but still very much you know what people call culturally jewish the fact that max is in this like this old her apartment's in this old yeshiva that's been you know converted been gentrified into these hipster apartments um the the shul that that they go to there that nadia goes to 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 find out information about this yeshiva um the woman who prays for her and this like even if you're not a religious person the way that this woman sort of takes her in hand um, to offer her kindness and compassion was so moving for me and so specific you know it wasn't a generalized kind of you know hand wavy you know feel goodness it was like no this is a specifically jewish thing so if you know any jewish writers specifically who are talking about this hit me up on twitter hit me with them links (laughs)
0: <laughs> um, I also want to talk a bit about, um, you know, I like, I like sort of finding connections or echoes, uh, between, you know, one piece of media that I love and another piece of media that I love. And, um, so I was fascinated by how in, in, uh, Russian doll, uh, Nadia is the creator of this game, um, that is basically like seems rock essentially- and
2: roll games.
0: Yeah, rock and roll Sorry. games. right? <laughs> that obviously made me laugh. Not the rock star, but <laughs> she like she has created a game, um, and, uh, and which you play this heroine named Ariadne, I think, um, which is the, also the title of the last episode. And it's essentially like impossible, or there's like a very difficult or you know puzzle or obstacle at a certain point that um that uh neither uh, Nadia herself um nor um Alan, you know, has ever uh well, Nadia may have been able to to pass it at some point, but now she doesn't know how. It's she's like, wow, this is way harder than I remember. And um, you know, in the in the final season of Halt and Catch Fire, uh, the character of Cameron, who is also like a game dev who is kind of has a difficult time making real connections with people. She's kind of, you know, closed off in some ways, like creates this game that uh, that you know nobody can uh, uh, p- figure out, like how to progress in it, ex- until like her, you know, ex partner, business partner slash good friend, who she's had a falling out with, like is like the one person who kind of understands Cameron well enough to to determine how to actually like complete the game. Um, but you know, I just thought that was uh, you know an interesting kind of. Uh, mirror there between those two those two characters.
1: I loved uh, when Nadia goes to that um, meeting with the other devs, and it's just like comes in late and is like, "I got to call. This is my drug dealer. I got to take this." That um, was but so just, good. But just like yeah, the oh visual difference of her and that oh my god, that red shirt, that blood uh, red shirt, so good. you know. And then the camera like flips back to the dude to you know. Their version of like the Urban Outfitters hipster, you know, tech dude aesthetic. Like she couldn't be more alive and pulsing in that moment. And then just to like fucking chuck the deuce on those idiots. So satisfying. (laughs) There were a couple
2: of references that I thought were really um, subtle and nice. They kept mentioning um, Dolores Huerta, who is an activist around um, labor rights, like very well-known, did incredible work uh, around those issues. And she just kept coming up again and again because of the the way that the the time loop happened, which I thought was like very much a you-need-to-know-who-this-woman-is moment. There was also a passing joke about Andrew Dice Clay Oh,
0: God, that was so funny. It was so yeah. good. Because where, after um, she said it, I looked at her, and I was like, oh, she's totally right. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Which is, I would say, the reference was something like, you know, like, I really like him, but I'm sure that's not going to last long. Like, I'm sure he'll become problematic one day. Oh, and you're just yeah. like, oh, God, you just like in that one sentence just succinctly encapsulated all of our fears of
1: literally every dude in Hollywood. <laughs> well, and also, it was so funny because it was Andrew Dice Clay. Right. So yeah. the notion that like he's going to be problematic one day. Right. It yeah, was just yeah.
2: like, hilarious. Totally. I was like, wait a second. Yeah. Anyways, I loved I thought that those were really smart moments in the show. But okay, you want to talk about Alan? We're running out of time. <laughs> we keep
1: not yeah. talking about him. I, we don't. We don't have enough time to talk about everything that goes on. But Alan's character, when he first appears, like you just you have no idea how to feel about him. Um, and I was so worried, so worried that there was going to be this gross, like nice guy um, take on his character. Right? That it was like, oh, you know, um, his his girlfriend. Um, is, you know, just like this this horrible woman and he just wants to love her and whatever. And, and you get that. But you also get this very intelligent and thoughtful view from her, you know, where she says, like, this has been very hard for me. Like, I have had to manage this and manage you and I just, I couldn't do it anymore. Like, she wasn't made out to be a villain and we weren't rooting for him to sort of win over her. No matter how satisfying, you know, um, that that scene was and that that one iteration where... Um, Nadia tells her off. Like, that's very satisfying, but that's not the point. That's not the end um, to get back at your girlfriend. Um, but I just thought, like, his the way that um, Charlie Burnett was able to quietly suggest all of the turmoil he was experiencing and the like Herculean efforts he was going to to fend off his internal demons and and the things that he was fighting, the, the darkness that was trying to take him over. Um, I just, I was, I, I was blown away by it. And so at the end of, I think it's like episode six, where we find out how his first death happened, I was a wreck. Like I was just a wreck because, you know, we've had this kind of, you know, these funny um, scenes when Nadia's, like, there's death after death after death and she's fallen down the stairs and all these different funny ways and whatever. And so at that point, we're kind of primed for more funny deaths, even though we don't know when they're going to happen. Um, but to have that just wrenching realization that Alan took his own life um, and that he has, in fact, gone up to do it again, that's why they're now in this current reset, it was just devastating.
2: Um I'm going to end uh, this segment with a tweet from Andy Zeisler. Are you ready for this? Yes. Y'all ready for this? Dun, 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 dun. Okay. <laughs> Russian doll, but I'm trapped in the time loop between when I finished watching the series and five minutes later found out that Natasha Leone and Fred Armisen are a couple. Yo, <laughs> I lost my shit when I read that. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I it learned- matters, but also she's so awesome, and I don't know her personally, but I really want to believe in her, and I don't understand her life choices.
0: Ah, I, li- I like Fred Armisen. Isn't
2: he kind of a dick? Is he? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've heard some shitty things about him. Oh, I don't that- know. I that's just why mean- I was like, uh...
0: I just mean that I... I mean, I don't know. I just mean that I like him... You know, his persona, you know, as a performer and stuff. That's that's all I mean. I don't know yeah. anything about him personally.
2: Well, that's my freak out and the end <laughs> of this <a second>. wow. <laughs> Thanks, folks. So, yeah, we're done. All right, let's move on to... What's, what's your freak out? out? Uh, Ebony, you want to get us started with your uh, quote-unquote stuff today? hmm
1: Yeah, um, okay, so one... There is a new documentary called Horror Noir on um, Shutter, um, and it's produced. Oh gosh, I'm blanking on the names, but it's got these like um, industry luminaries, you know, writers and screenwriters and um, directors, producers, etc., who are knowledgeable both about horror as a genre but also um, about film as a medium and specifically about how Black people have been involved in the production of horror texts or the subjects of horror texts since film began. It looks super interesting. I can't wait to check it out. Um, and it's on Shudder, which is like one of those channels you can get through Amazon Prime, but I think you can also just watch online. Um, so we'll put up the link because as you know, super obsessed with horror as a genre. Um, and the fact that this is specifically about Blackness in horror, fascinating.
0: So yeah, I just looked it up and just to, so um, among the people who, uh, you know, the film features conversations with are Jordan, Jordan Peele, um, Tony Todd, you know, uh, character, black horror character actor, Candyman. Etc. Um, yeah.
1: Tannery do. I think Franklin Keith Leonard David. might be in it. Yeah. yeah. You know, like there's just some amazing thinkers, writers, whatever people attached to this. Um, and it's a, I think I like a tight 90 minutes, but people who have seen it are like, I could have watched, you know, eight hours of this. So encouraging people to check it out. I'm definitely going to be checking it out. Amazing.
2: Carolyn, what are you freaking out
0: about? Uh, well, I'm it, it, literally freaking out about, uh, the new remake of resident evil two, because it's creepy and scary as hell. Uh, but, um, what I, what I want to, you know, freak out about it. I know I know I've done things like this before, but, um, so, uh, I'm, you know, I'm very easily, uh, scared and I don't really necessarily like at times I enjoy being scared. And at times I, I really don't, um, but uh, so what I've been doing with Resident Evil Two um, is is playing it, you know, on stream um, on, on our Twitch channels, twitchtv famfreak And there's really something about like the communal experience when I do that. When I feel like okay, I'm not alone. Like I I'm you know I have all these people here with me watching me, um, like sharing. And, you know, I feel like horror is, I don't know, for me, it's, like, meant to be a communal experience, right? It's meant to be, like, somehow there's a comfort in, like, sharing the fear or facing the fears, like, with other people. It's very different, you know, to experience horror alone than than with others. And so, like, when I'm playing and I have folks, you know, uh, watching the stream, like, I'm more able to, if I get, you know, if a jump scare really gets me, I'm able to, like, laugh about it after the fact because... You know, I, I, because I, I can laugh at myself and because it, there's something uh, cathartic about it when I'm sharing it with others that there wouldn't be if I were just like playing the game on my own. Um, so, you know, um, so, yeah, I'm enjoying the, the new Resident Evil 2 remake. Um But um, but definitely like particularly enjoying um, the experience of of playing it uh, with, you know, with folks in our Twitch stream community who hang out and watch and laugh along with me or get scared along with me um, and all that good stuff.
1: Remember, Kara, when you would stream from the office and I would threaten to print something from the printer remotely, (laughs) like in the middle of a game to freak you out. And it would be those times when like you were the only one in the office and it would get dark early. Aren't you glad you don't stream from the office anymore?
2: (laughs) Whatever. Ebony's too much of a Luddite to figure out how to actually do that. People, why do I let Anita?
1: This is just one more disappointment in Black History Month. I'm (laughs) through. I'm
2: through. Fair. That's fair. I deserve that. That's fair. Um Oh God, I was gonna make a terrible joke. I'm going to avoid that by sharing Thank my you. breakout this week. <laughs> so I um was on planes for a long time recently and watched some movies and uh, I watched a couple really good ones. So uh Carol, did you watch Beautiful Boy?
0: Oh no, I, I no I didn't. I I I sort of I missed it somehow. I really wanted to see it, of course, because I yeah. love Timothy Chalamet, but It just, I just somehow missed its release window, I guess, or I haven't seen it yet.
2: Yeah. So I watched that. Um, It's nominated for all kinds of awards. um, And it is about, so it stars Steve Carell and Timothy Chalamet. Mm -hmm. And um, it is about a father son relationship that's very, very close. uh, But the son is a drug addict. And it's that, I mean, and ensuing events happen. Mm -hmm. Um, It is so beautiful. Uh I will literally watch anything with Timothy Chalamet
0: in it. Like I even be, even call me by your name. Yeah, like
2: between Call Me By Your Name and this, I think that he is so phenomenal
0: oh, I in agree. this way
2: that like I is is mind-blowing to me. I think he is one of the like rising stars of like deep intense emotional <laughs> uh, uh drama, so to speak, I guess in yeah, film. He, yeah. And he killed this role. He was so good. And like Steve Carell was great. Um, And, you know, we don't see him do a lot of serious stuff, I don't think, or maybe I haven't. But they, their relationship and the way they worked off of each other was just heart wrenching. Like I'm on the pl- I'm on an airplane fucking bawling my eyes out because it is such such a gut wrenching movie. Um, And I so, yeah, like, you know, I think one of the I, I couldn't help but be a little bit disappointed at how like tertiary women were in the story like they just really weren't important or didn't play any real role and part of that is because it really is just about these two characters and the dance that they're doing to like attract and deter each other um so anyways i highly highly recommend it i i just it's marvelous uh and very difficult to watch the other movie i watched that's in that same sort of like really intense um It's sort of sort of sort of like drama that I think kind of got forgotten or got ignored. I don't know. I don't remember when it came out, but I feel like anyways, it's called The Wife um, and it's with Glenn Close. Did you see that one? No, I didn't see that one either. So The Wife is about a um, a very respected uh, writer who had just been nominated for the um, the Nobel Peace Prize in Literature,
0: the Nobel, the Nobel Prize in Literature. Not the yeah. no, not the Nobel Peace Prize in literature.
2: Whatever <laughs> the thing that's famous. Yeah, they're both famous. Um, you're right. It is the Nobel Prize. I didn't know there was a difference. Cool. 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 <laughs> cool. 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 Um, Oh, the Nobel Peace Prize is the one that fucking Obama won for all the wars that he continued. Cool, 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 cool. Anyway, so he wins this prize, and um, the movie is going through them learning about it as a couple, them going to Stockholm to receive it, all of the hoopla that comes with it. And what I think is so powerful about it is you learn um you know relatively quickly that their relationship is kind of complicated that the the husband says oh yeah my wife doesn't write, even though they <sighs> they met because she was his student and she was a very promising student um and then as the story progresses you learn that she actually wrote all of his shit that he, oh. she was a much better writer than him and he got all of the attention for it and you can see glenn close like
0: uh.
2: look I know that we all know her from 101 Dalmatians. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's... Yeah,
2: yeah, yep, yeah, yeah. But, like, she is incredible because of the subtlety with which her facial expressions, without even saying anything, show over time in this film how she's getting worn down and kind of can't take it anymore, that, like, all of her life's work has been... Um, as, like, ascribed to this man because she was told early on that men, that women can never make it and that your stuff won't get read. And then there's just this moment, this is huge spoiler, but where she's, like, she she's kind of, like, how dare you not recognize that, like, the characters I've written into your stories are about me and you? Right? Like, just this, it, oh, God, it was really good. I thought it was really good. And just, like, heart-wrenching and awful and, like, just the way, like you can totally picture and imagine this actually happening. And it has, right? Like this is not a story that came out of nowhere. I, I mean, I don't think it's based on anything, but there's so much history around men taking credit for women's work um, or women realizing that their work won't be prized unless there's a man's name on it. And so I don't know why I like, did this movie win awards or nominated or anything? Well, I like, think I Glenn just...
0: Close is nominated for an Oscar. I th- uh, the- think. Um, yeah, and
2: this came out in August of last year. So, it should it should be in this award season, but I don't know if whatever. It's really good. Anyways, that's it. Those are my freakouts. Um, but exci- okay. Take a breath. Move on to the next thing. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, please keep that in. <laughs> um, we actually have a listener freakout this week, so we want to share with you what Rob Jurgen Dukes is freaking out about. <laughs>
0: hi this is rob and i'm freaking out about the youtuber h bomber guy a couple weeks ago he played through donkey kong 64 on a twitch stream to raise money for mermaids an organization that supports trans youth in britain He talked to tons of guests about trans rights, including Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and by the end of the 57-hour stream, they'd raised $340,000. Now, obviously, I don't need to tell you how toxic gaming culture can be, so it's really encouraging to me when this hobby we love is used to lift up marginalized people instead of tear them down. Okay, thanks for listening. Oh man. Yeah. That H bomber guy stream was just so phenomenal. What it just became this massive, massive event, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez called in, was on it at one point. Um, I am mean, you know, among many other like, uh, uh, amazing people, you know, there's like this great moment where Grant Kirkhope, who's, who is the official voice of Donkey Kong, um uh for Nintendo like said uh trans rights as Donkey Kong um and they just and, and what's what I love most of all perhaps about that story is that uh so Graham Lineham who is this you know British uh celebrity who I think created like Father Ted or in the IT crowd uh, um among other like famous British shows he's kind of been on this anti he's he's part of the big uh, anti trans movement in the uk now essentially and you know by by kind of demonizing the the stream and the 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 youth charity mermaids the youth trans charity they were raising money for he actually like helped them garner like so much more attention and hashtag thanks became this huge thing and anyway mad props to h bomber guy and everyone involved for just making that stream such a huge such a huge success
2: Awesome. Also special this week is we have another listener freak out from Meg. Meg uh, did not give us an audio clip, but she did share a link to Apple's AirPods. So we are just going to assume that she's freaking out about AirPods for some reason, along with the following text. Why would anyone submit anything? Literally nothing submitted has ever made the show ever. And you keep asking people to send stuff in. Thanks, Meg. Thanks for your name. We, really <laughs> we really value your your very
1: uneducated opinion. Well, what I, I do. Listen, folks, we can't play them if you don't send them in. So send us your freakouts. Don't let us freak out
2: alone. And you can do that at feministfrequency.com slash freakout. That's F-R-E-Q-O-U-T. That is our show. You can catch us back here every single Wednesday. Stay tuned for the bonus episode, which is only available as a backer of this podcast, which you can be. So head over to d.rip slash Femfreak and give us your fucking money.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know who's going to have something to say about that?
2: (sighs) The internet. Meg. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure Meg will. That's fine. We love to hear from you. If you don't know, Ebony and I are back with our Star Trek Discovery recap podcast and we like actually have a structure and script and we're organized. So don't pay attention to the first episode of that, but listen to all the others.
1: (laughs) All three of them.
2: And you can learn more about that at FeministFrequency.com. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. And when you are stuck in your personal hell of a time loop where you're trying to work out your deepest, darkest traumas... Just tell your friends that you are really into this podcast called Feminist Frequency Radio and to stop doing such hard emotional labor.
0: You can listen to this episode again and again and again.
2: (laughs) Check out all of our work and our other podcasts at FeministFrequency.com and be sure to follow us on Twitter at Femfreak to stay up to date on all the news. You can find me at Anita Sarkeesian.
0: I'm at Carolyn Michelle.
2: I am at English people keep their houses too damn cold. (laughs) <laughs> our producer is Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music, technical support by Sarah Norales, production assistance by Taylor Simmons, and art by Jamie Varin. We will see you all next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>